0: this morning hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us this is the word of god for the people of god So if you were here last Sunday out in the tent you know we read this same verse as our text it's got a lot in it it's a very long sentence we'll be using it some more as we go through the month as we add other verses from Hebrews chapter 12 but I also told you that the Olympics are coming if you watch television you probably know that the commercials are becoming more plentiful. You know the advertising's gonna continue to grow. Of course, there's a struggle this year because usually lots of spectators are going in the direction of the host city this year, Tokyo, Japan. But they're under a state of emergency because of the pandemic, so no spectators. And yet, the athletes who have been training for years and years are moving in that direction. They are getting ready to go. But I thought, wouldn't it be a help to us As Christians, if every time we saw a commercial for the Olympics or every time we watched one of the events over those 10 days to two weeks that they'll be broadcast on television, that we were able to make a connection with those Olympic Games with our own spiritual life. That's what I'm hoping to do with this sermon series, Going for the goal is for us to think about our own spiritual life and how we can become spiritual champions, if you will, even as we watch those field and track and swimmers and other athletes trying to be champions in their own chosen field. During the sermon last week, I challenged everyone to choose a spiritual hero or a faith hero that you would be willing to learn more about and might be an inspiration to you in your own Christian life. We were looking at the first phrase of the verse that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Why not look to some of those faithful witnesses to inspire us in our own lives? So I'm wondering, who did you choose? Some of you are thinking, oh my, I forgot. I didn't choose anybody. That's all right. I give assignments and challenges from the pulpit, and sometimes I forget to do them myself. So it happens. It's not too late. You could still do it this week. Go online or... Get a book and read about a Christian hero, a great Christian leader, someone that might inspire you to greater heights and greater depths in your own spiritual life. I chose Martin Luther. I knew the broad outlines of Luther's life as the father of the Protestant Reformation, but did you know he had a fiery temper? It probably fueled his work that made him the father of the Reformation but it also came out in inappropriate ways in his life and ministry and he had to struggle with that he also struggled with different faith or theological issues you would think the father of the Protestant Reformation was really clear about what he believed and sometimes he was and then later in his life at other times he vacillated about what he actually believed and un- how he understood God at work did you know that his protest against the church was not only about faith and theology but also had to do with nationalism that was creeping in and economics that were he thought corrupting the church he wrote about all of those things he had his own problems he had his own struggles just like all of us do do which leads us to this second clause, verse 1, I put it in your outline, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Luther struggled with sin just like all of us do. We know we have our shortcomings. We know we fall and stumble. We know that sometimes we set out and resolve to be faithful in our discipleship, and then we look up and we're off the path. We have missed the mark. We all need reminders. We all need some guidance and direction. We all need a renewed sense of hope at times and help from others to stay on the faithful path of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I mentioned last week that the Olympics have a very long history. In fact, the forerunner to the modern games goes back 2,800 years. Those early Olympians had to take an oath before they could compete. It said two things. It said that they had been committed in their training for at least 10 months and also that they would not cheat during the competition. And I begin to think how do we incorporate into our own spiritual quest a commitment to training or spiritual practice and a commitment to be honest even with ourselves about who we are and what we're doing? How do we lay aside every weight and sin? I've put a three-step process in your bulletin, which is a practical way to kind of unpack the theological process. The first thing I've put there is we have to recognize that there is sin in our lives. Theologically, we call that confession. It's not just knowing that there's sin in the world, that sometimes we're separated from God, but the idea of confession is to make that personal, is to look at our own lives and to identify sin in our own particular lives. We all know that we have sin and fallen short, as Saint Paul says. The question is whether or not we're willing to recognize it and name it. Lasse Varenne was an Olympian in 1972. He ran for Finland. He was a policeman before becoming an Olympian, but he loved to run and he was running more and more, began to enter races and do better and better until he was the representative for his home country at the 1972 Olympics. He ran in two different categories, the middle distance races as they call them, the 10,000 meter and the 5,000 meter. That year at the Olympics, the 10,000 meter came first. So 10,000 meters is just over six miles. So they're running quite a ways, but they run, as you know, at a quick pace. And they were running. He was running in the pack. He was in fifth place. They were about halfway through the race. And then all of a sudden, he tripped and stumbled and fell. I cannot imagine what it would have been like in front of a worldwide TV audience To come to that moment that you have trained not months for but years for and all of a sudden the shock that you've lost your balance, you're going down, your hands are hitting the track, your knees are pounding into the track, and you're tumbling on the track while the rest of the pack runs on. It's a moment of decision. You have to decide if you're going to stay down and nurse your injuries or at least your ego. Or if you're gonna get back up and get in the race. Varen, without hesitation, as soon as he could gather himself, jumped back up and began to run again. And not only run, but at a faster pace than he had been running before he fell. Remarkably, within a couple of hundred meters, he had caught the pack. He was back in the race, and slowly he moved past one runner until another till he was in second place. Only one runner still in front of him, but there were still a couple of miles to go, and you know how these races go. Different people surge. so sure enough, this was no different. One person or two would go to the lead, and then they would get tired and drop back, and somebody else would take the lead. Beren continued to run, but with just a couple of laps to go, he realized he was all the way back in fifth place and had fallen off the pace. Again, a moment of decision, he was able to gather his resolve to dig down deep and decide to give it his all to give more than he had already given and he began to pick up his pace again as he passed one runner after another until it came down to the final stretch and he and two others are just barreling along coming to the finish line he's in the middle and just at the end he's able to take a couple of paces quicker than the others and cross the line with a runner at either shoulder but he had won the gold medal he had won the race When the time was verified, not only has he won the Olympic gold, but he had set a new world record. The man who fell down in the middle of the race had gotten back up and gotten into the race. It should be an inspiration to all of us when we stumble and fall. It should be a reminder to each of us that sin need not be the last word in our lives. Leads us to step two. That is to remove or release the sin. The sin that clings so closely is how this author describes sin, something that sometimes we want to get rid of as hanging on to us or we're hanging on to. How do we release that and let it go? Sometimes it's just a behavior that we can decide to change. We haven't been going to church and we can decide we're going to go to church. It can be something simple. But other times, it's much more deeply seated, rooted deeply in our thoughts and our feelings. And even though consciously we're trying to change, we still feel like we're failing. At times like that, we know we need God's help. This author doesn't get around to saying it until the next chapter But he says we can count on God. He says God will never leave us or forsake us. In that 13th chapter in verse 6 he says because of that we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. So often it's not even sin. It's our fear of sin or fear of facing our sin that holds us back. The good news is that God is ready and poised to help you whenever you are ready to allow God to help you. But even more so than that, in our Methodist theology, we proclaim that God is already at work in our lives for good before we ever even know it, before we recognize that God is already at work trying to lead us and offer us abundant life sometimes the question is are you ready are you ready to let go of that sin that clings so closely are you ready to work on that to try to change so that you can move closer to god so i've put here a third step the third step is to restructure your life or turn in terms of direction theologically it follows falls under the canopy of repentance you'll remember i've said before that repent comes from a greek word that means to turn around or to change your mind to change your direction so it's the image of i'm going this way and i realize i'm off track and i turn and i move back in the other direction or move back toward god to repent is to change or to turn But so often I think the mistake people make when they're dealing with sin is that they say they want to stop. They may even turn their back. But then we never really move very far away from it. We don't really move away. We don't really start in the new direction. And then that sin that clings so closely has a hold of us again. There's a book that I've read, not a spiritual book, really a self-help book. I put the title in the outline, The Power of Full Engagements by Lore and Swartz. What they want to talk about in there is how do we use our life and our life energy? They want us to use it so that it fulfills our deepest values and help us, helps us claim and experience deep purpose in life. They say one of the ways to do this is develop what they call positive rituals. They define rituals as precise behaviors done at specific times that become positive rituals when those behaviors translate your deepest values and priorities into action. They point out a startling statistic They posit that some 95% of our behaviors we do out of habit. We go through life doing things without even hardly thinking about them. They suggest we would fulfill our purpose in life and be more fulfilled and more whole if we would develop more intentional and positive rituals or habits. I think they are on to something. I think this could be a very practical way to turn away from sin. They say these rituals become most effective when they are written and specify exactly when, where, and how this behavior will occur. They cite an impressive body of research in the book. Let me just give you a couple of the examples they share they said there was a study done with a group of people, and what they were, all they had to do was write a report or write a paragraph about how they planned to spend Christmas Eve and then turn it in. Now, one of the groups, they had write down exactly when and where they were going to write the report. The other ones, they just said, turn it in at this deadline. The ones who didn't have a specific time stated, only about a third of them even turned in the report. But for those who wrote down when and where they were going to write their report, it skyrocketed to 75%. Another group was with women. The study was trying to see if they could help women do a self-examination of the breast. They had two different groups. One, they just said, do it within a certain period of time. Again, the other one, they said, write down when and where you're going to do this. You know what they found at the end of the study? Those who had not committed to a specific time and place, only about half of them completed the exam. But those who had written down when and where came in at 100%. Every one of them did it. It was double the result. One other study they did with students, it was about whether or not they would begin a fitness routine. Again, two different groups of students. Again, they're having them write down what to do. Guess how many of them did it if they didn't write it down? Only 29%. But then they brought that group in with the other group and said, we're all going to write down when, where, and how. We're going to start and fulfill this fitness routine. The second time around, again, The change was dramatic. Over 90% of the students not only started the fitness routine but followed the program through to completion. It seems almost too simple to be true that we can have dramatic changes in our life if we'll simply write down when, where, and how we're going to work on whatever we've identified. I mean, isn't that what weekly worship is about? We all come Sunday at 11, every week. Oh, but wait, not everybody comes every week. But it would be great if people would write it down, put it on their calendar, make it a priority. Our attendance, according to the research, would double. So simple. And yet it can make a dramatic difference. It's the same thing with a devotional time or your prayer life. If you're going to do it every morning when you get up out of bed, the chances of you doing it skyrocket than if you just think at some point during the day, I'm going to take some time for prayer. The same thing about giving when it's systematic. Those who commit to make a tithe or set up an electronic deposit, they're so much more consistent in their giving Because they've already made that commitment and specified when, where, and how it's going to happen. We can apply these ideas of positive rituals that these guys have to our own spiritual life and growth. And I think it's a great practical way to turn away from sin and to experience the life that God intends for all of us. The question is, are you ready to work on it? Are you ready to lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely? To give you the best chance to do that, I've asked Susan to play a few moments of organ music I put at the bottom of your outline when where and how with question marks the revival is often closed with the time of prayer and music people coming to the altar certainly you could come if you want but I'm encouraging you to take a moment and think about your own life and something that needs to change and write it down now let us pray